0: Welcome to the show, everybody. It is the Sens Nation podcast, and it's hard to imagine a livelier news week for the Sens than we had last week. But you know what? I think we've accomplished that. There might be more happening this week than there was last week in uh, an insanely busy time for the Sens. For example, the Sens sign Florida Panther Ford, Yevgeny Dadnov. The Sens re sign Matt Murray. The Sens acquire Austin Watson. Nick Paul resigns. Eugene Melnick is, well, making headlines, and a whole lot more coming up on today's show. How are things, Coach?
1: Things are great, Stephen. It's a lovely night. I appreciate you accommodating me. We're, we're recording later at night than normal, so maybe we'll be a little squirrely. We'll be a little more fired up tonight who knows who knows it's Greg Kennedy <laughs> the coach
0: I just gave you the nickname right out of the gate I should identify you as well the uh the good coach is Greg Kennedy ladies and gentlemen and uh by the way uh anything you need to know about the show you can check out at our website sendsnationhockey.com lots of great articles up there you can find it about the show and uh we also have our Patreon memberships as well if you're interested in that so uh yeah let's get started.
1: Huberdeau floats it ahead he's got No breaking in Dad it scores! Evgeny Dadnov, his first of the season, gets one back.
0: Boy, that one came, kind of came out of the blue today as we record this. Evgeny Dadnov, there's a guy that's got 182 points over the last three seasons. He was an unrestricted free agent, and the Sens signed him today to a three-year contract with $15 million. Right away, he becomes their highest-paid forward. What did you think of the deal, Greg?
1: I think it's great. I mean, this is a guy who who probably took a bit of time to find himself, right? Like, he came over young, uh, didn't exactly have a lot of success, went back to the KHL, and in five straight years in the KHL, just got better and better and better. And then when he returned to Florida, what, three years ago, uh, finds himself playing with Barkov and Huberto, and look out. Like, this guy is a true number one right winger on most teams in the National Hockey League. I think you could probably pencil him in here for, for 25 goals, on a not-so-great team, and probably 30 or 35 for years after that when the players around them get better and the team gets better.
0: Yeah, I like it too, and, I, and I'm encouraged by it, but I am I do have that little voice in the back of my head about, okay, well, the Sens don't have the aforementioned Jonathan Huberdeau and uh, and uh, and Barkov as well. Is there danger, any danger at all that Dadnov becomes part of that long list of Ottawa Senators who came over from other teams and – weren't quite as good because he didn't have the superstar support like Bobby Ryan comes to mind, Alex Chiasson, Corey Conacher. Like these guys are playing with really high-end line mates. There was excitement about them, and then they came to Ottawa. Though he didn't have those line mates, and they weren't the same kind of player. You've seen enough of this guy, where you say, "No, no, he's going to be fine here."
1: Yeah, I, I think he's he's probably going to start out. I would think playing uh, like is is Connor White your your Connor is Colin White your de facto number 1 center it, or, or is it is it Tierney? I don't know, but I'm thinking he's going to play with somebody in the middle and probably with Kachuk on his left. Um he'll have some success. I, I, and and will be a leader. He's older, right? He's what? 31 now? That's right. Um, um yeah, I I think he's going to do just fine. Um all the whole Leery stuff about NHL teams worried about taking Russians and everything. I think this is a kid who's showing that he wants to be here and he's done well and he's he's worked hard and and had some good success in his last three years. And he's ready to take off and maybe be the guy that's ahead of uh, a Barkoff and a Huberto in, in conversation of being the best player on the team. That might be something that motivates him.
0: I wonder about Colin White and where he slots in and have we seen the best of Colin White? You mentioned him as maybe a possible number 1 center. Um I have a feeling that he slides in maybe, you know, I think he's going to settle in as a a nice all-around third line center. That's just the vibe I have right now. I just haven't seen that high-end offensive thrust that I that I'd like to see. Like I have a feeling by mid-season we're going to be talking about Josh Norris maybe is your number one center. And and an outside shot, depending if he can keep his two hands in one piece, in, in Tim Stutzla, maybe uh, you know right out of the gate, annoyed him with some big minutes. It's it's hard to say at this stage of the game until you see him at the NHL level. But I don't know. Do you feel really like Colin White can be a number one center out of the gate?
1: I, I did use the term de facto. I think he's kind of by default, he probably starts the year. It's his job to lose. Let's put it that way. I yeah. believe Josh Norris is probably your number one center, and and will be. Uh, Stutzla, in a perfect world, you want him to start probably third line with say, I don't know, Watson and Formanton or maybe Watson and Artie uh, uh, Party. There, um, you know, you still got Logan Brown kicking around too. There's another opportunity for him to to step into camp and say, no, I want to be the number one center. So there's some good competition there, and of course Chris Tierney's still around, who's probably again more suited as a third-line center. Um, but he may end up being your number one center to start the season just based on age and experience and mm-hmm. and what kind of a season he ends up having. Training camp yeah, rather.
0: So Dadnob immediately at $5 million a year becomes the senator's highest-paid forward. Bobby Ryan held that role for a, quite a long time, but he was bought out, of course. So knob at number one. Then you have Colin White at number two. I think he's at 4.75, and then... Artem Anisimov, who's at 4.5. No other Ford to give you kind of a, an idea of how at a whack and at a sorts the Sens payroll is. No other Sens Ford right now is within three million dollars of those guys. So there's a lot of young guys who don't make a ton of money, and uh, the big three financially are Dadnov, White, and Anisimov.
1: But I. After the uh, uh, the week here coming up with some ARB cases, I would think that Connor Brown's going to jump up a little on that scale, isn't he?
0: Yeah. So Connor Brown is set for October 22nd. Then Christian Yaros is on November 7th, and Chris Tierney is on November 8th. And, uh, well, as mentioned, Nick Paul, he avoided arbitration. He has, uh, for the first time in his career, got a real commitment from his NHL club well from the Senators that's been his only NHL club he's been with the organization since 2014 um I guess the Dallas Stars of course drafted him too so they would count as in this discussion but um how good do you feel for a guy like Nick Paul for I mean get a load of these numbers 12 times sent down to the minors three times waved through the entire league finally six years later he's now got a full-time NHL home. Pretty cool, huh?
1: Well, it's a nice story. It's a feel-good story. But there's a part of me that thinks that he still may end up, uh, you know, fourth-liner taxi squad. And I'm wondering, like you're looking at what kind of money's been handed out in the NHL these days, and did they actually overpay him? Well,
0: I guess you could make that argument. I mean, he's still, what is, what is your, uh, I'd say average of about 1. 1.3, 1. 1.4 per season in those two, in that two-year deal, correct?
1: Two years at 2.7, but you've right. got like, okay, um, Nate Thompson signed for 750. You know, uh, uh, Tyler Ennis is is a million. You and I talked about Verhegi before. He got two years, 2 million. You know, Pat Maroon, two years at 1.8, I think. Bobby Ryan's a million dollars. Tobias Reeder, 700,000. You know, the list goes on. Kyle Clifford, there's a comparable, I would think, no? Gets two years at a million a year. Even Jimmy Vesey, 900,000. Everybody's at a million or less. And Nick Paul comes in at two years for 2.7. Like you say, it's 1.35 million a year. Not bad.
0: Yeah, I'd say so. And I think the thing with Nick Paul is that uh, because he is such an interesting mix of of size and speed. Like, he's a good skater for a guy that big. Got a great shot. And it feels like his issue has been confidence. And it looked like he finally found some swagger. He was sent down for the 12th time in his career back in September. He was back up with the club in October. And by November, the team was saying, DJ Smith, after a win over LA, basically said, get a house, which is <laughs> the words he was dreaming of hearing. And, and, and yet, this week was officially payday, um, maybe the thought is, okay, this, guy, <clears throat> this guy's this guy been such a good soldier for the organization, I don't think he ever came forward and said, I want to be traded, get me out of here right now. Here's a losing organization that doesn't even want me to play in the, in the bigs with them. Um, a, a lot of other players would have demanded trades. This guy kept his head down, kept on working, kept on improving, and maybe there's a little bit of thank you money in there as well. Not only... That, but maybe a boost in confidence as well that comes with a little extra cash, uh, because Nick Paul could be a real impact player in your bottom six if he's got that swagger out there like he had last season,
1: for sure. And his best season, uh, his two best seasons were the last two full seasons that he played in in uh, Belleville. And he played with Logan Brown and Drake Batherson the one year and had forty-two points, didn't he? he had over forty points. He right. did score over twenty-five in uh, North Bay one year, and he scored over 35 another year in North Bay. So he he does have some finish to him, but I think at the NHL level, his his peak, his ceiling is probably third line left wing or on another team, maybe he plays center, which is his more natural position.
0: Did we see his best last year? Do you think there's room for further improvement because uh, it's taken so long to get here? Even last season, after six years in the organization and watching him yo-yo up and down from the minors, like I think there's a lot of people who, who looked at him and said, uh, who is that guy? Or, you know, what, is that? What, what has he done with Nick Paul? Uh, where'd that come from? Uh, there was a lot of those moments with Nick Paul this year. And a- as the confidence grows, and, and now he's got a contract to go with it, that I think really assures the kid that I belong in the NHL. I'm getting NHL money. It's one-way money. Even to go, if they send him down, he's still making that NHL dough. There's a real confidence that might go with that. Do you think we've seen his best? Is there more there? What do you think?
1: There's probably more there. I, I think he, if he makes this team in the in the third-line role, um, that confidence from the team and the coaching staff to, to put him in there, he'd kill penalties too, don't forget. Um, maybe he's a net front presence on a second power play unit. He does have potential as a big-body NHLer to bring more to the table and with the comfort um, with the fact that there'll be more guys around him that he's played with or come up with through, through Belleville, uh, you know, and, and a decent season last year. Again, that that makes him more comfortable. Maybe he's finally found it and and he breaks out this year. Now, of course, a breakout for Nick Paul is what? You know, maybe 15 goals tops. Is that a breakout? Is that something you'd be happy with? I would think so from a third-line guy or a fourth-line guy. He can contribute 15 goals and maybe 30 points. That would be really nice.
0: It's funny. Uh, we're of a certain vintage that we... You know, remember growing up in the 70s, watching hockey and, you know, in the 80s, of course, like 15 goals back then. It was like, oh, my God, you're not even an NHL player. But times have changed. Fifteen goals in your bottom six is great.
1: Yeah. And and that's probably a realistic goal for him, assuming he gets the minutes that that uh, that we think he should maybe be getting in a third line role.
0: Kind of interesting, too, that. Over the last couple of weeks, particularly after Bobby Ryan was bought out, there was a lot of discussion about how are the Sens going to get to the salary cap floor. Well, if you check your cap friendly or whatever source you use to track your favorite team's cap uh, favorite team's cap hit, you'll notice the Sens are now at the floor. Really quickly, you know, Nick Paul, uh, the Dadnov signing, they re-signed Matt Murray, they acquired Austin Watson. Like, all of a sudden, you know, they're at $60 million, about 100 k away from being at the salary cap floor. It doesn't take long, does it, uh, when, it when you get down to it?
1: No, and, I, and that brings us to Watson. How do, you, how do you feel about that signing? Or that trade, sorry.
0: I, I like that, uh, you know, you, if I'm going to get a guy to play in my fourth line, for example, uh, I want it to be a guy that's got a real edge to him, a real feistiness. Uh, and you you know he brings that. Uh, he's a guy that doesn't mind dropping them. He's going to wear number 16 to honor Brian McGratton because they've been through kind of similar things in their lives as far as uh, battling addiction and stuff. But Austin Watson, I, I think that's exactly the kind of guy. I mean, if they, if they have aspirations of giving him top six minutes, I start to go, ooh, ooh, wee, ooh, I don't think there's a lot, enough skill there. But this is a team that's employed guys like Tom Pyatt, uh magnus pay RV. i just those types of guys um you're just not going to get the kind of minutes and power play time you need to be a real offensive kind of threat out there first and foremost i want you to be able to skate like the wind and i want you to play the game with a bit of edge and austin watson on top of all that can kick in the odd goal so i like the signing
1: how about you yep i i agree What is six of six four two hundred pounds probably and- probably slots in at third behind Batherson and Dadanoff I would think, of the right wing, maybe depending on what kind of a camp uh Rudolph uh Balsers has. Um but no I, I I think you're right. He's he's a third line winger that brings some grit, some size, some tenacity, some what's the Brian Burke word? Is that is it tenacity he uses
0: truculence.
1: Truculence, that's it. He brings <laughs> some truculence. And 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 I agree with you. If if you see him playing in the second line <laughs> Then I think we got a problem there because that means Batherson or Dadnov aren't working out, yeah. and I really see those two as being ahead of them on the right side. But you know, he's what, probably a third liner at best, right? Yeah.
0: What was really tattooed in my brain when I heard that the Sens had acquired Austin Watson was, well, wow, wow, did they really want that controversy? Because we all, I think, if you follow the headlines, most people thought Austin Watson. They think about the domestic assault case, and. To read up on it on the background of this player and the dialogue coming from his girlfriend, who, who may be his wife. Now I'm not certain. Um, she has spoken about how um, a lot of it was fabricated, and uh, she was dealing with issues of her own. and uh, And they both seem to have their lives back on track. But uh, no, I was I, I was glad of that angle because um, you know you you don't want to invite. Because that's one thing the Sens have been really good at. Going back to Brian Murray, and then Pierre Dorian has kept it on, is that they've done a really good job. You can question this or that. One of the things that's been foremost in their player selection uh, has been quality people. And you don't really want to muck with that. And I was, I was thinking initially when they acquired him that they had. But uh, reading up more on it, and I invite everybody to do that, uh, there's more to that story than meets the eye.
1: Yep, I think he is he sounds like a quality guy, and uh, another one I look forward to seeing. I really do, Steve. I'm I'm kind of excited to see how this lineup fleshes out, who ends up where, you know, how the how the minutes are going to be distributed. Uh, it's it's taking shape here, and and kudos to Pierre Dorian for putting together what it looks like should be a half decent team. Let's put it that way. <laughs> are they a playoff team yet? I don't think so, but they're going to be better than they were. And they're going to be entertaining to watch. I
0: think they'll have a decent power play, won't they? When you think? Because that's been. What well, was know, problem you had last a year? Yeah, yeah, you Dadnov. Uh, you're going to have Kachuk there to be a pain in the ass throughout. They got uh, an embarrassment of riches on the blue line as far as offensive threats go, whether it's going to be, you know, Shabbat will be there, Brandstrom. You know, you can question this or that about him, but that's a guy you want on the point. For your power play, he's really offensively gifted. I'm not sure about his skating and his size for the rest of the five-on-five five play, but I love me some Brandstrom on the on the power play. So I made a few edits there because my son's here in the room with me today, and he's having a sneezing fit in the background here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's I think, uh, and then you know maybe a Josh Norris in there somewhere. Uh, I really Don't like the way- Stutzler. Stutzla as well, of course. Oh.
1: Batherson sniping. Yeah, like, yeah, you will have some talent up front on your power play for sure.
0: Yeah. Matt Murray resigned since the last time you and I got together for a podcast episode. We knew he'd been acquired, but uh, he was officially resigned like the day after our last podcast. And money-wise, he came in right around where we thought he would. Uh, it's a six-ish, and it's a four-year contract. Um, so I think, uh, I, I can just assume you're fairly happy with that deal.
1: Yeah. I, if he went to free market, he was getting between six and 7 million, right? Uh, I don't know that every team in the league would have been interested in signing him because of the last couple seasons and the, the ups and the downs, but, um, this is a good situation for him. We've talked about it before. It's a great spot for him to come in, establish himself as number one, provide some stability back there. Uh, I look forward to seeing him, uh, bounce back here in Ottawa next year.
0: Yeah, I've got a good article on our website, uh, from uh, one of our writer, writers, Roy. Uh, he's got uh, a good article on, and it counters a lot of the, <laughs> the Twitterverse out there that were coming hard with their analytics, suggesting that Matt Murray was actually one of the worst starting goalies in the league last year. Uh, Roy's got a great article about uh, how that's not necessarily true, that he actually is... Uh, a uh, pretty decent goalie that the Sens have acquired here, and uh, but you know what? Analytics—you can uh, take some really good stuff from analytics. Some of it's awesome, and some of it I just look at going, hey, "What are you serious right now with that?" Patrick
1: analytics? Weirkosh.
0: was he in an analytics, darling?
1: Yeah, don't you remember? Oh yeah, Patrick Weirkosh was one of those guys. But here's here's the problem with analytics, and I I I get it, I understand it. In baseball, where let's face it, this is where everything started. The, the problem is that you are not you don't have to count who's on the field with you at the same time or there's no opposition changes. It's just this pitcher versus that batter. In hockey, you're on the ice against different people, playing with different teammates at different times. There's got to be a way to, to factor that in, and I don't think they've quite found it yet, right? Like, yeah. how, what's the quality of opposition on the ice and what's the quality of teammate with you obviously factors in to all of those numbers that are going to factor that are going to come out of your your performance.
0: Yeah, and and the eyeball test is still very much in play. I mean, you can't ever dismiss that. I mean, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Like the Oakland A's scouting staff in that movie, could they find a bunch of guys who were... Older than that, like they they all look like they were dragged out of old age homes. They all look like they're about 97 years old. And, well, this is how we did it. We do it with the eyeball test. We scout this way. And they just made them look completely archaic. In reality, there are still lots of guys of all ages who are scouts who still rely heavily on the old eyeball test. That's always going to be part of it, right?
1: Oh, yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not an anti-analytics guy. I'm just saying that there are certain parts of analytics where it's difficult to factor in the quality of the opposition you're playing that shift against and the quality of the teammate you're playing that shift with. And until they can come up with a way to make that work, then analytics isn't 100% the way to go. You're right about the eyeball. Still pretty important there, right? Absolutely. All
0: right, let's change gears here. And uh, talk a little bit about Eugene Melnick. He had a pretty, <laughs> a pretty enthusiastic, ambitious goal. Uh, he was speaking with the media this week. Wish I could uh, attribute it at the moment, but uh, the headline was, Melnick says the Senators will be a cup winner within four years. Coach, give me your re- immediate <laughs> reaction to that.
1: Uh, no. Well, that, my immediate reaction is not quite, buddy. I think uh, year one, that would be this coming season, whenever it starts, they miss the playoffs. Year two, they contend for a spot, maybe make it and lose in a round. Year three, they're definitely in the playoffs. By uh, year four, when he seems to think they're going to win the Stanley Cup, I think maybe they're due for a long run that maybe sees them two or three rounds. But to win the Cup... In four years, not quite. Well, even
0: if you're the best, maybe even if you're truly the best team in four years from now, it's still a tall order to go out and win a cup. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, because, I mean, there's six to eight teams every single year that are awesome, and there's not much to separate them. They're at the top of the food chain, but they're, like I say, six to eight of them, and then it all gets sorted out by, you know, a bounce in the playoffs, a bad call in the playoffs, who gets hurt in the playoffs, and and just guys who, you know, get it done and execute in the playoffs, mentally focused, stuff in their lives. There's so many variables that go with it. All you can do is position your team talent-wise to be part of that 6 to 8 and at that stage of the game, um then you can start strutting, but even then I wouldn't say we will be a winner. I would, If I'm Melnick, and I think what he says is possible, but I certainly would have framed it differently and used different words like I'd say... Compete Mel, for. You know, yeah, they'll be a contender within four years for the Stanley yeah. Cup. I think that's reasonable because I think in four years, they could be every bit the team that Dallas was. I didn't expect Dallas to go to the Stanley Cup final. It'd be two games away from winning it all, but there they were. That's just how it panned out this year, and I think the Sens could be as good as the Dallas Stars are this year, Four years from now, I just think it's aggressive, and I also think it's again. If I'm Melnick's personal advisor, I think my 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 advice would always be: you know what? You see a microphone, you it's like uh, you know, well, just give Pierre a call. Pierre will talk to you. It'll be fine. Uh, or, or you know, give uh, give Anthony LeBlanc a call. Uh, it'll be fine. You give you everything you need. I just feel like at this stage, cause, I mean, it, that that headline splashes everywhere. Uh, and there's also another lawsuit. Melnick's got another lawsuit, this time going against Rick Gibbons of the Ottawa Sun. He says it was defamation um, about what Gibbons had written about his organ charity and how everything was moving around money-wise. And so now he's suing Rick Gibbons for $500,000. And again, if I was personal advisor, I'd be like, eh, you sure you want to, for the sake of $500,000, you might not even win. And you're kind of, at this stage... Everybody's trying to go to a fresh start here and keep moving forward. Now you're bringing up something that everybody would moved past and, and forgotten about. Um, you sure you want to do that. Uh, what did you think of the, uh, yet another lawsuit?
1: Does he actually have an advisor? Um, I, I think the lawsuit was predictable, right? Like you knew it was coming the, the, based on his personality and his past actions. Uh, he, he, he feels insulted and uh, he believes that he was slighted. I don't have a problem with that. If you're in a position where you have the money to hire a lawyer to fight this and sue someone, it's probably going to cost more than the 500000 you might get out of it. And I would assume that if he wins, he's just going to donate it to a charity. It's probably got a lot more to do with the principle of the thing than the money uh, or, the, or him feeling slighted. But uh, it, it was predictable. And um, you're right. Maybe he really didn't have to do it, right? Maybe he could have just demanded an apology. You know, wrote an open letter to the to the newspaper and demanded an apology of some sorts and gone from there. But this is the way he does things.
0: It's a timing too, because it's just such a neat time for Sens fans. Like uh it feels almost like Midas touch stuff since the day of the draft until now. Um, you know, from new uniforms to Tim Stutzler, Jake Sanderson, you know, these great first rounders, um, picking up Matt Murray, a two time cup winner. And now you get dadden here some good signings as well. there's all such good stuff happening right now, and that's that's where the focus should be and yeah, uh like,
1: was this really necessary
0: yeah maybe uh maybe you could say these things and do these things two months from now when uh you know when, when all the when all this is faded, but for now it just feels like a, a time where you let let Sens fans bask a little that's just that's just my feeling on it i mean i it's hard to know. It's hard to walk in a guy's shoes when you don't know the full story about uh, what's going on necessarily in the background. It just, I just think laying low would be uh, the best option right now for the Sens owner. Galchenyuk scores! He
1: breaks a personal hex. It's first and eight, Alex Galchenyuk.
0: It sounds like the Sens aren't done as far as free agency goes. And have it on very good authority this week that the Sens have been kicking the tires on Alex Galchenyuk. Of course, he played for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, he was sent out of town for the max in the Max Domi um, the Max Domi deal, and uh, bounced around a little bit since then. He was with the Minnesota Wild this past season at the deadline onward, and it, he didn't even get to free agency. Uh, they gave away his number to Nick Bugstadt when uh, when they signed him so Galchenyuk was clearly going to be out and so he's a UFA now and the Sens have they haven't they haven't committed anything they're not you know they're not necessarily saying they're truly interested all they're doing right now uh is making some phone calls to garner opinion you know some of their close contacts people they trust around the league about the state of Galchenyuk's game would you have any interest in that player they do need wingers
1: none none I have no interest whatsoever. Diminishing asset. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that, yes, he, in three full seasons in Montreal, I I think he got to his highest 30 goals. Um, But no, been going down ever since, gets traded for Domi, gets traded for Kessel, gets traded for, how did he get to Minnesota? Was that the Jason Zucker deal? Yes, sir. Zucker? Yeah, <laughs> I believe so. I mean, here's a guy who's just been getting worse and worse and worse, and if I'm not mistaken, was a top three or top five, at least, draft yep. choice it's one of those guys where in, in my humble opinion let somebody else take the risk and if they reap the reward good for them and if the guy flops like you think he might good for you you know i'm just let somebody else take that risk i just don't think they need it they don't need somebody here who maybe has a bit of an attitude problem you don't need some guy sulking when he's not doing well or chirping people cuz he thinks he's better than he is i just you don't need that right now. That's, I'm, I'm hoping that's what their due diligence is going to return them in their information, fact-finding that they're doing right now. So the question I would
0: have, because I think Galchenyuk's going to draw some interest around the league, like, would it change your opinion if you were willing to do something in a show-me type of contract, like something like Bobby Ryan's doing in Detroit right now, a one-year contract worth mm-hmm. a million
1: yeah. bucks? That's all he's going to get. Nobody's giving him three years or something i i think he's probably only gonna get uh one year he'll he'll probably only sign a one-year deal because he won't like the money that's offered to him like a lot, all these deals right. these ones and twos right he's maybe maybe he gets two years at 2.5 maybe he gets two years at three uh three million total i'm saying like a one and a half a year I, I i just don't see him getting he's not getting like four or three or four million a year from somebody i can't see it no
0: he's probably looking for it it's possible. Oh, yeah. It's certainly possible because, I mean, my, my initial thought was, yeah, maybe you're right because, you know, he probably would have signed by now with somebody if there was somebody that excited about him uh, because, you it know, definitely. Free, free agency started a while back now. It's been going for uh, almost a week now as we record this. But at the same time, you st- we saw Dadnov sign with the Sens today on a three-year contract. So there's there's still, you know, there's still things going on out there. It's possible, but, yeah. I, I I guess I would tend to agree that if he does get a deal, it's probably uh, a one year, one million dollar type of a deal. But uh, you know, I think I and think I probably teams... w- I probably would act on that. I probably would take Alchenyuk on if it's just a one year contract for a million bucks, just to kick the tires on it, just the same way you did with Nikita Filatov way back when. You gave up a third rounder, high draft pick, such skill in junior. Maybe there's still something there. And if it only costs me $1 million to find out, then that's a risk that I'd probably be willing to take.
1: And if it's not, and at the first sign that it's not working out, Gandhi, see you later. Right. Right. If if that's, if that's part of it, like there's, this is an all movement clause in this contract. If you're going to do that, there's no, (laughs) no movement in this one. Like, but you're right about him signing somewhere. If someone was interested, like, this has been the year of free agency where it's the exact opposite of most years. Most years, the player, you chat with a player and player says, well, I'll get back to you. This year, the team says, here's the offer. <laughs> you know, uh, We're not getting back to anybody. Here's the offer. We might call you back later. It's the team that, that may come back. Well, the Sens are interested in
0: in a small way, at least. They're they're curious to know the state of his game. And who knows? Maybe those phone calls are coming back with the exact review that you have on them. But uh, yeah, time will tell. Uh, what was your reaction, Greg, initially when you saw the headline,
1: Tim Stutzler breaks his hand? It sounds like it's no big deal. Like it's not a, a major break. It's not even the wrist. I think it's just a bone in the hand. So he's out for six to eight weeks. Uh, he, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. But my initial reaction was, Whoa, oh, this can't be good. But it looks like it's okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's it's one of those things where you, the headline you go, oh, my God, the black cloud is back. But, yeah, six to eight weeks, when it sounds like it might be even now, because January 1st is being kicked around as the start of the next regular season, but it now potentially might be February. And that's because Bill Foley, the Vegas Golden Knights owner, gave an interview this week, and he let a couple of things slide that make you go, whoa. And one of them is that it might be a February start for the next regular season. The other one is is that he said, you know, because of the COVID measures, that it looks like Canadian teams may all play in the same division next season. Wouldn't that be an interesting concept?
1: That sounds cool, doesn't it? A little more a little more travel expense and a lot of uh Western trips that they're not used to, but you've got what six other Canadian teams, you play them each four times each, there's 48 games. Sounds, you know, sorry, play them each eight times each. Is that it? Six times eight is 48? Oh, I there was told there to be no math. <laughs> but yeah, six teams, you play them each four at home, four in a row, that's 48 games. That They've got to be finished the season and the Stanley Cup and everything in time for the Olympics, assuming the Olympics are going to happen. Because NBC, of course, has the Olympics. So there's no going through the summer this time around.
0: So we'll see how that goes. A um, couple of signings of former senators. We mentioned Bobby Ryan in Detroit. And your expectations for Ryan in Detroit are what?
1: I think he'll do well. I, I, I can see him being uh, scoring 20 goals. I could see him scoring 25 goals. Uh, it's going to depend on minutes and quality of linemates and where he plays in that lineup. If he's he's playing as their number one line, I don't think so. If he's playing second or third line minutes uh, with some half-decent talent against lesser talent, um, yeah, he could put up 20 goals there.
0: Kyle Turris, also signing, former senator. He is now an Edmonton oiler. Is that a good fit for a guy like Kyle Turris, who seemed to fall out of favor in Nashville?
1: Yeah, I guess he just never really fit in there, so never got comfortable, whether it was the system or it was a relationship with LaViolette, uh, who I was LaViolette at the time, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure what it was. I, at first, when this happened, I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, didn't he leave Phoenix or want out of Phoenix partially because of his relationship with uh, Dave Tippett, who is now the coach of the Oilers? But I, I guess not and he's going to go there. He'll give them some some flexibility. If he plays up at the two slot, then you can play Dreisaitl and McDavid together. Uh, if he plays in the three slot, that's not bad at all. Um, gives you the opportunity to leave Nugent Hopkins on the wing and stop trying to force him into playing center where he just doesn't seem to be able to do it. Uh, I, he, he should be a good fit there, and he should be. He's another guy who could really have a nice resurrection, and it's, what, two years at... I think it's two years at 1.6 a year, which is just about right. I think about Ryan and Turris, both of those guys,
0: they have to be in your top six, don't they? Like They, they need to produce the kind of points that earn them a spot in the top six because are either player hearty enough and defensively responsible enough to be in your bottom six generally? I don't think so.
1: Turris could play as a third-line center. Bobby Ryan, I think, needs minutes. He needs minutes. He needs to be skating and playing and contributing. He needs to be in the game, uh, the the big body to get the motor running. He needs to get the the sixteen minutes a night. He can't be playing less than ten or less than twelve. It's just not going to work. But I think Kyle Turris on a skilled team, uh, he could be he could be a three center, no problem. Uh, in the case of both of them, I, I understand what you're saying that that you know a guy like this needs to play in there, but but they're not making six seven eight million dollars it's you don't have that the coach doesn't have that kind of pressure on him to play the guy higher up the lineup because of his contract they're just going to earn their ice time based on their play and and their numbers from there
0: and the last of the former ottawa senators that i wanted to talk about in terms of signings since the last time we convened would be mark borwiecki signing on with the nashville predators Nashville is so talented on that blue line, so I think Borviatsky will slot in exactly the kind of player that they that they're looking for. Just a guy because there's so much skill there on the blue line that he's going to come in there, uh, and he's going to put the smash back in Smashville.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's a perfect spot for him. It really is, Steve. He, he slides in comfortably on your third pair. It's uh, good for him. Two years at two million a season, like really good for him. Um, he'll love it there. I think the fans will love him there. He will he will endear himself to the fans. Um, he's he's sort of like a they had Jordan Tutu there for years, right? He's he's going to bring a little bit of that back into their lineup, isn't
0: he? Yeah, yeah. And talking to Jason York, um, he he just said Nashville is just a fantastic city to be an NHL player in. Uh, he absolutely loved his time there, and so uh, you feel good because. Uh, I mean, who doesn't have a soft spot for Mark Borwiecki? Whatever you thought of him as a player, one way you know, some people liked him and some people didn't. But I think everybody loved the guy, and so it's neat that he and his family have found an NHL home with some pretty decent NHL cash, and it's a hell of a city to play hockey in.
1: Yep, and the Senators weren't giving him $2 million per. No. Speaking of what the Senators are going to give people, what are your thoughts on the arbitrations coming up here? Ooh, good one. Connor
0: Brown's the most interesting one. It's the same discussion we have with J.G. Pajot, like, what is the player? Can they play in the top six? If they can, if, if you think as a Stanley Cup contender, Connor Brown or J.G. Pajot can be in your top six, okay? Roll the bones on that. But I think most people think those are third-line forwards, and as such, you have to pay them as third-line forwards. Um so while an arbitrator will probably want to take him from 2.1 that he made last year to north of $4 million, I think that should be the Sens' goal to keep him under $4 million.
1: Yeah, I, I'm betting the team's probably looking at uh, 2.5 to 3.5, and, and he's looking at 3.5 to 4. And then what ends up happening from there, I don't know. But um, long-range projection, he's probably a third-line winger. Again, the Sens have lots of third-liners. But on a good team, he's a third-liner. So you want to pay him what a third-liner on a good team makes. And he's going to come in and say, but we're not a good team, and I'm a second-line guy on this team, if not a first-line guy some nights, so I should be paid more. It, it would be, make for an interesting argument. Wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall in that little meeting to hear both sides of the argument?
0: 3.5 and up would be my prediction for sure. Three times three and a half. And yeah, that that would seem reasonable. And because keep in mind, this is a guy who, for most of the year, led the team in scoring. So he was no slouch as far as offensive contributions. But this is a team that needs its top guys to score a whole lot more than Connor Brown was producing. And and for that matter, Brady Kachuk, Um, everybody's numbers have got to go up if this team ever is to uh, well get in the discussion that Eugene Melnick threw out there this week that there'll be a Cup winner within four years. Well the stats offensively that this team put up that's not going to fly, but for now, Connor Brown is still one of your key offensive guys and uh and in the and and he's absolutely he could be part of anybody's Stanley Cup puzzle because he's such a good two- way player uh but not ideally not a first and second liner
1: yeah exactly so we're in total agreement on him. what about Chris Tierney though? If Tierney made 2.9
0: last season, he's obviously looking for a raise on that. And again, as with the case of Brown, I don't think he would be part of a Stanley Cup solution
1: in the top six. Here's a bold prediction. I could actually see a walkaway with this player. Ooh. Yeah, now
0: that you mention it, if anybody's ever going to have a walkaway situation, it'd be a case like this.
1: Yeah, depending because remember... Arbitrators, um, from what I've read and heard, arbitrators aren't considering the circumstances of the upcoming season. Their decisions are not based on COVID. Their decisions are based on cold, hard statistics. Here's the statistics of this player last year, the year before, the year before. Here are four or five comparables with the same statistics, and here are their salaries, and then the team says the exact same thing. That's all they're looking at. I could see an arbitrator saying, well, wait a minute. This guy looks like he's in your top six. He deserves four, based on the rest of the NHL, or maybe four and a half. And I can see the senator saying, "Uh, "No, thank you," and walking away.
0: Thirty-seven points in seventy-one games this past season—like that's that's fairly pedestrian stuff when you're asking, when you've got a player who who might be knocking on the door for four million dollars. I just I can't see it. I can't see a big raise there. And uh, yeah, you, you may well be right. And it, it would be unfortunate because um, all things being equal and slotting guys in where they belong, there's a guy that really can help out your bottom six. Like he's a guy that can chip in with scoring. But as all these young guys in the next two years keep getting more and more ice time, because they're the skill guys that are going to lead you to the so-called promised land eventually, there's not going to be time for Chris Tierney to get the ice time and the odd power play minute or two that he, that he got last year on a bad hockey team so that 37 points is only going to go down as far as his production goes so you can't you can't be looking at big money for that guy with all due respect
1: yeah he's yet another third or fourth liner on a good hockey club i can really see you know it might even be a team strategy here we've we've used the term placeholder a lot a guy like Tierney is definitely a placeholder to a certain extent, Connor Brown is a placeholder in the top six, right? He's not really a top six, but he's holding a place there for now. I could see it as being a team strategy here that okay, we'll take we'll go to arbitration with these guys, we'll pay them what they say, because it's only one year. And then we just do it all over again next year, and we give us an opportunity to see how these kids develop and bump these guys right out of our lineup, and then maybe their their trade deadline deals. Not necessarily Connor Brown, but but Tierney certainly could be a trade deadline guy. You mentioned COVID, and how, and I've heard the
0: same thing that how arbitrators aren't taking any of that into account. They're just looking at the cold, hard numbers. Shouldn't they be taking COVID into consideration? Like, COVID has changed everything in the world, and we're all accommodating for COVID. Why is the NHL apparently, anyway, from what we're hearing? Why, why, why isn't COVID playing into some of these salary decisions moving forward? Because we all know. The COVID's going to be here for a while. Uh, they might play hockey next year, but for the next couple of years anyway, you're not going to have sellout stadiums. You're not going to have like eighteen, nineteen thousand 19,000 fans in buildings. That's going to affect the bottom line. So shouldn't it affect some of these decisions like based on, you know, the, the, the landscape has changed financially now.
1: I, I see what you're saying, but if it were something else, if, if, Our ticket sales are down, therefore our revenue is down for whatever reason. Okay, we suck, so our revenue is down. Our ticket sales are down. Uh, We suck, so we don't sell a lot of jerseys. We don't get parking. We don't get concessions because we don't have as many fans. Therefore, we can't afford to pay this player that. Our argument is we should only pay him this much money. Is that a realistic argument to make to an arbitrator in a normal setting without COVID? And I would say, no, it's not. So... Does COVID enter into it? Or, you know, I've bungled up my uh, salary cap for the last five years and and I can't afford to pay this player what he thinks he deserves. Therefore, our offer is X dollars. Well, right. that shouldn't enter into the argument either, should it?
0: No, not in theory. Um, the other thing I was looking at was uh, in terms of accommodating exterior factors. You have COVID, but you also have the ongoing thing that, Teams like the Sens, the Canadian teams have to deal with, and that's the exchange rate, right? And in looking up the salary cap floor and the salary cap, the floor is around 60 million ish, the cap is around 81 million. We're all very glib and routine when we say, yeah, 60 million, 81. Then you click on Canadian funds, and what a game changer that is. Like the salary cap suddenly becomes about 107 million. The salary floor becomes about eighty million. And in the meantime, all these Canadian NHL owners are taking in their revenues in Canadian streams, and then they immediately have to pay all the players in American dollars. Like that's a big freaking deal. And talk about how accommodations should be made by the league. Like the league really does start need to start thinking about that when they that they really should have a different cap. For Canadian NHL clubs, don't you think, or, or, or have some kind of affording for the exchange rate?
1: Yeah, I get you'd, you'd have to come up with a formula that that would change obviously with the with the strength or weakness of the Canadian dollar. Um, it's the same sort of thing where they keep talking about these states that with no state tax, their money's worth more, so there it should be factored differently into into the cap for different teams. Like mm-hmm. like Dallas with no state tax should have a lower cap number a lower maximum that they can spend to. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that as a lifetime eBay addict, I'm getting tired of this bad Canadian dollar.
0: <laughs> well said. That's a good place to call it a day. Anything, uh, anything else on your mind on the Sens front this week?
1: No, we covered a lot, didn't we? It's been did. exciting.
0: I think so. Yeah.
1: I don't, maybe next week, we'll, next week we'll have more free agents to talk about. I don't know. Pretty soon we'll have to start discussing the lineup and, uh, who might be made available for Seattle at some point in time.
0: Yep. Don't think it'll be as busy as the last two weeks have been. I think we might have set a record for topics and probably a, a bunch more that we never got to today. But, uh, yeah, it's probably going to fade a little bit as far as the uh, the really exciting news. But there's probably going to be a few more things. Like, do you think Pierre Dorian is done? Do you think he has something else up his sleeve?
1: You said earlier you, you think there's more to come. I, I, I Well, specifically, you're talking about Galchenyuk. I don't know. I, I think he might be done. I think this is good. He's got a couple of these arbitration guys to settle. We didn't even mention Yaros, who has zero leverage, and will be lucky to get, I don't know, somewhere between eight hundred grand and one point two maybe. Um, but th- he's got those things to handle, and that's about it. So I, I think he's done. You think maybe he's got one more deal coming? Is that it?
0: They've just gotten to the floor. I hope they don't call it quits because they've gotten to the floor. I, I would think that... Uh... It's got to be the right deal, though. I mean, whether it comes by trade or um, a deal like today's with Dadnov, which I think is a terrific deal, if the money makes sense, or what you have to give up in a trade makes sense. You and it has to make sense for the big picture. Um, then you go ahead and make that move. Uh, and so it'll depend on if it uh, if the opportunity presents itself. I think Pierre Dorian is absolutely wide open to it. You mentioned Yaros, though. I think what he has going for him uh, through this through this whole process. Pierre Dorian is in his corner. He is a Christian Yaros fan. What Yaros has to do, somehow, some way, is to get DJ Smith to become a Christian Yaros fan and buy in because it doesn't seem like they're on the same page uh, at this stage. But And the uh,
1: other the other thing he's got going for him is he's one of the guys on loan, right? Is he not? No, he's not because he's a free agent. So he he's not playing, right? Whereas you've got Schlappich and Abramoff and Branstrom and... Lassie Thompson and I think even Gustafson, they're all playing over Europe right now. But Yarosh can't without a contract. Right. That's going to hurt him too, right?
0: Any surprise Anthony Duclair hasn't found a new home yet?
1: I'm not surprised in the least. From what I understand, he was looking at five times five, wasn't he? That's the word on the street. Like, sorry, pal. If, if From what's been handed out lately, he, he'd be lucky to get three times three and a half, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree. If, if that if that is, in fact, the numbers, then that's way too much for that player. Uh, he, ha- he has to have a bigger sample size of playing the way he did in November of last year, because, well, I think the stat was something like in the second half of the year, he had like two goals. And there wasn't a there wasn't a ton of production there. And he's a very streaky player. And so until he finds that consistency, then uh, five by five is uh, an absolute pipe dream. But uh,
1: does he get three by three and a half in Ottawa?
0: Well, he's not. Yeah, they haven't. They haven't closed the door on him. That's one thing we should point out. That yeah, they basically didn't qualify him, makes him a UFA. But that doesn't mean the Sens can't circle back to him. And and who knows? And Duclair loved it here. And if the money and term become more reasonable, then maybe the Senators re-enter that fray. There you go. That might we
1: might be talking about that next week.
0: Maybe for the time being, we'll call it a day today. Greg, great job as always, and we'll talk to you again in next week's show.
1: Thanks, Steve. Have a good weekend. You too.
0: Thanks for being with us on the Sins Nation podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help the nation grow, please visit sinsnationpodcast.com. Leave a positive rating or review. Share the show with other Sins fans. Become a Patreon member or subscribe for free. And never miss a single episode. Until next time, go Sins go.